We are in a series on uh, the book of Galatians, really, uh, and I'm, I've called it Fantastic Fruit and Where to Find It, and uh, this is part five today. Uh, we will take this right through into Pentecost Sunday, which is the 5th of June, I'm pretty sure this year, all right? And I've got a strange title for you today. It's called Crucify Yourself. And uh, that may be a little bit harsh, but um, if you want the fruit of the Spirit in your life, which is, of course, the famous passage in Galatians 5, if there's anything that we've learned thus far, it's not that simple. You don't just sort of snap your fingers and, aha, the fruit of the Spirit has sort of magically appeared in my life, and I'm, I've got more, I'm more loving and more joyful and more peaceful and more kind and more gentle and more... The more long I suffer longer, <laughs> I'm more self-controlled. That's what it's an old translation, long-suffering. We don't like that one. Long-suffering, I'm more, you know, all of those things. And, and also, just the way the list is written, it's, it's not a complete list, right? The acts of the sinful nature, you see things like this are, is written there and in the fruit of the Holy Spirit against these things, these kinds of things, there is no law. So it's not meant to be a complete little box thing and you got your nine, you know, fruit of the Spirit and you work on your nine thing. It's all supposed to happen naturally, but there's a whole bunch of things that take place before then. So uh, we're going to talk about a subject that may not be that, uh, you know, palpable when you think about it, crucify yourself, but you'll, you'll get the gist by the end. Uh, just from last week's message, uh, talking about beginning with the Spirit, you have to know who, well, who is, if you're going to be led by the Spirit, if you're going to walk in step with the Spirit, if you're going to be in sync, so to speak, with the Spirit, well, you have to know who He is, or what He is, for that matter. You've got to know something about the Holy Spirit. Paul seems to presume that these people in Galatia knew what he was talking about when he says, be led by the Spirit, uh, he probably preached some basics to them, which we can, we can pull up from places like the book of Romans or even things that Jesus said. And from that, just a continuation, um, it, it, your understanding of the Holy Spirit and your relationship with God you are not going to get any closer to God on this planet in this time that you live in, you know, before you, you, you leave this world and go and meet the Lord. You are not going to get any closer to God than through the person of the Holy Spirit. So you better cultivate a sensitivity to Him and an understanding as to who he is, because he is the closest that you can get to God right now. And we often don't realize that. You know, I mean, what did Jesus say? He, he, say, he said, I'm leaving, but I will send him, the comforter, the one who is just like me, who will be with you and who will be in you. So I'm leaving. Say, well, but when you become a Christian, doesn't Jesus live in you? Yes, but how? By the person of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't the Father live in you? Yes. How? By the person of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul said, while I'm away from the Lord, I'm in the body. I would rather be away from the body and with the Lord, but I'm here, which means I'm away from the Lord. 
What do you mean he's away from the Lord? Doesn't the Lord live in him? Well, yes, through the person of the Holy Spirit. But is he in the direct, literal presence of God? No, he wants to, but he's not there yet. Do you, do you see the difference? So while we're here, boy, you better, you better learn about the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does in your life, because he's the closest that you can get to God right now. Whether you're Pentecostal, Baptist, Presbyterian, Salvation Army, Anglican, or uh, you don't even know what you are, <laughs> by the person of the Holy Spirit, that's the closest that you can get to God, all right? Now, we're going to have a little bit of fun today uh, on the long weekend, and so hopefully you have a Bible either handy or you've got it on your phone, but I want you to zip over to Galatians 5 before we... we get into what this means, this whole thing of crucify yourself. I want you to zip over there, and this is the, the, the famous, you know, passage uh, with the fruit of the Spirit in it. But I want you to discover something before we look at that passage, and we'll spend some more time in it next week. But I want to talk to you about imperatives, okay? So you've got to get a Bible for this to work. And open it up to Galatians chapter 5. Those of you who are in the room, those of you who are on Facebook or YouTube, you do the same. And you turn to Galatians chapter 5. Now, when we look at, at the Scripture, we, we talk about this word imperatives. All right? An imperative is something that you're supposed to do or something that you should be doing. We call this an imperative when, we, when we're looking at the, at the Bible. And there's many, many imperatives in the Bible. Give me a couple of imperatives that you know. Say it a little louder, it's okay. Thou shalt not kill. That's pretty imperative, right? That's from Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Give me some more. Love your neighbor as yourself. Good, that's an imperative, right? You're told to do something. And it's not a suggestion, it's an imperative. Give me some more. Oh, come on, I, I, you, you know a lot more than you think you know. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. These are imperatives, okay? When you look at Galatians chapter 5, be, before you start looking at the passage on the fruit of the Spirit, what you will discover is that the chapter is full of imperatives. There's a whole bunch of imperatives in there, even before he gets to the part about being led by the Spirit and living by the Spirit. So I want you to scan with your, with your eyes through your, your Bible that you have in your hand or your electronic Bible, and I want you to shout out to me some of the imperatives that you see in Galatians chapter 5. Before you look at the fruit of the Spirit, Yes. Yes. So, uh, um, in my translation, uh, stand firm. Stand firm. Don't let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. In other words, uh, you know, you don't need to follow all of these laws to be justified by God, and you need to stand firm in your faith, pure and simple. You don't need all the rest of it to be justified by God. Good. Others of them that you see there, they're really easy to spot, but you've got to look for them. Yes, love your neighbor as yourself, just as you had mentioned, right? And this is 
theme throughout the whole Old Testament. You see this. Paul brings this up. Galatians 5. What else? Walk in the Spirit. Good. That's an imperative. An indicative, by the way, is something that God has done. So God has done something. That's an indicative. But you now have to do something. That's an imperative. Okay? There's some more, if you can find them. I like to see your noses down in your Bibles. There's some more. Keep going. I'm, I'm not going to make it that easy for you just yet. Live by the Spirit. Good. Yeah. Any more that you see? Go ahead. Yeah, I like that one. Don't use your freedom to satisfy the sinful nature. Mm. All imperatives, right? I'll put some on the screen for you. So stand firm then. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, sinful nature, flesh, same word there. Serve one another is in Galatians 5. Watch out, a warning in Galatians 5. Live by or walk in, depends on your translation, the Spirit, that's an imperative. Keep in step with the Spirit. By the way, those of you watching online, we have a hardwired live stream connection today. Mm. So you know the problem where sometimes someone's doing something and it's not matching, where the two are out of sync, the audio and video are out of sync? That might not happen today, those of you who are online, okay? So far, so good. We're running a wire that's like 100 feet long into their system today, all right? So uh, keep in step with the Spirit. Don't get out of sync. But also, don't be conceited, he says. Don't envy. Don't provoke. And then there's that one down kind of at the bottom. And it's almost an assumption that Paul uh, makes here in Galatians 5. And he talks about the crucifixion, he uses this word, of the sinful nature or the flesh. Same word. That's that word sarks in the Greek. It doesn't mean your physical body. It means something inside of you that's bent up against God, that opposes God, that desires things that are against God. And he makes almost an assumption here, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and with its desires. Wow, what is that all about? Crucify the, the flesh? What is he talking about there? And again, the way he terms it, it's almost an assumption as if they already should know this, and they already should be doing this, but I'm not so convinced that we get that today. I think maybe they got it back then in Galatia or some of the other churches that Paul had planted and was preaching in, but I think this is a bit of a lost um, discipline or lost art today because it sounds so ferocious. I mean, you know what a crucifixion was, right? That's a, that's a pretty... You know, that's pretty grotesque in many ways. And he's talking about that with reference to this sinful nature or the flesh. So I want to unpack this a little bit today because this is part and parcel of the recipe for walking in the Spirit. If you, don't, if you want the fruit of the Spirit in your life and you, have, you don't understand this this, this business of crucify the flesh and all that, 
the odds are you're going to be frustrated. You're going to wonder what you're doing wrong. You're going to wonder why you're not behaving the way that you want to behave. It's like a struggle. It's like a tension, almost like there's two people inside of you. You're going to be frustrated with this if you don't understand it. So I want to uh, break it down for you just over the next few, few minutes, okay? Uh, in this passage in Galatians 5, you're going to notice not one, not two, but you're going to notice three different um, motivations, um, voices, if you will, um, choices, worldviews, impulses. You're going to notice three different kinds of sources of this. So Paul says, I say live by the Spirit or walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature or the flesh. And then he starts to explain what this is a bit. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit desires what is contrary to the sinful nature. So they're, they're, they don't want the same things. The, the Spirit in you, if you're a Christ follower, wants something, desires something, but that flesh that is apparently still in you, according to Paul, want something entirely different. Do you see that? So this is all taking place inside of a person, and in this case, inside of even a believer. They're in conflict with one another, he says, so that you do not do what you want. It's like, a, it's like there's three competing uh, uh, parts almost inside of you, you know? It's like you're kind of caught in the middle here, and you've got the, the spirit who is in you who wants certain things, and yet there's that something else inside of you that wants something different. And the way he terms it, it's almost, you almost think of like a, like a tennis match, you know? And you're just kind of caught in the middle so that you do not do what you want. Wow. This would definitely mean there's a struggle. This would definitely mean that if you, even if you're a Christ follower, you are going to experience this kind of internal struggle as you try to, to serve the Lord, as it were, as you try to be a disciple of Jesus. You're not going to find that it's going to be this super easy, you know, smooth as, as silk kind of experience you're going to find that there's going to be trouble. There's going to be difficulty. It's not going to be that easy. If you're not finding that, there's probably actually something wrong. <laughs> you probably, I'm not sure what it is, but I've not met a person who's authentically trying to, to be a Christian and serve God who has not experienced this. Usually, if a person says that and that they haven't experienced it, they're probably experiencing it worse than you can imagine. And they're just kind of masking over it, uh, maybe because they're embarrassed or maybe because they don't want anybody to know how they're struggling with this particular area in their life. But this is a very, very normative part of being a Christian. 
It's not supposed to be a bed of roses. There's supposed to be this internal struggle that takes place. But he says, if you are led by the Spirit, he starts the phrase, live by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. You can be free. You can walk justified before God. You don't have to be bound in sin if you are led by the Spirit. This is what he's trying to say. But a lot of us are not aware of this. And we don't have even a basic awareness that, hey, hold on a second. There is something going on inside of you. And usually that takes place right up here, right between your ears, as it were. There's a kind of a battlefield there that's happening. Competing desires Competing wills, the will of the Spirit, the will of the flesh. Remember, folks, when you become a Christian, when you decide to follow Jesus, the, the, the past and your experiences and the decisions that you made and that whole thing where you were you know, up against God uh, uh, and you were kind of God's um, enemy in some senses, Paul says, before you decided to change and repent and turn to Christ, well, that thing is still there, you see. It's not that it's magically disappeared, but now you have a decision that you can make about it. Whereas the person without Christ, the person who does not know the Lord, the person who uh, you know, chooses not to perhaps... Uh, uh, follow the life of faith and so on, that person does not have the same struggle. It's different because the life of the Spirit does not exist in them yet. Do you see that? So Paul says to the Corinthians, if any, anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation, and the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And so we, what do we do with the verse? We say, oh, well, the old has passed away. Forget about it. It's all gone. And then we start living. We say, well, hold on. I thought the old has passed away, but how come I'm struggling with all of these things? And if you, if you keep digging into what Paul is saying there, he's trying to say the old is gone in the sense that now you can choose to walk new. You have a choice now whereas you didn't have one before. And a lot of us, we're not aware of this. And so what we do is we just kind of go through life and we go through our day and there's no kind of self-awareness here of, wait a second, you know, not everything that I think about is of God, for example. You know, not every impulse and every thought and every desire and all of that that I have is necessarily of God. I have to be watching what I'm thinking about. I have to be watching what I'm watching, you know? I have to be watching what I'm saying. I have to be watching where I'm going. I have to be watching what I'm doing. I have to do a little bit of self-monitoring here because I decide now whether I'm going to walk by that flesh or whether I'm going to walk by the Spirit. I've got two choices that I can make. But if I'm not aware of this, and I don't know this, then it's just kind of anything goes. If it feels right, do it. You know, you're thinking this, you're watching this, you're doing this, you're talking this way, you're behaving, so what? Doesn't matter. Well, I'm a Christian now, it's all okay. You know, well, be aware that there's still 
this thing that's inside of you that wants to oppose God? What will you do about this? And how will you live understanding this? So there's a sense of awareness. Hold on, I've got to be about the business of doing some self-examination here. I've got to be about the business of realizing, wait a minute, I've got to deal with that sinful nature. I've got to deal with that flesh. I've got to decide I'm going to walk by the Spirit because I don't want to be this ping-pong ball caught in the middle of the battle. Do you see that? So not only is there an awareness that's necessary, of course that leads to a decision and what you are going to decide to do. And this is the liberty that we have in Christ is now we get to decide. The person without Christ doesn't. The person without Christ, essentially, if they're living, you know, their own way and they're doing their own thing, the argument from the Bible is, well, you're walking by the, the famous flesh. That's what you're doing. You don't know Christ. You don't have the life of the Spirit within you. And so what choice do you have? You say, well, I'm just doing my own thing. I don't care about God. I don't care about religion. I'm doing my own thing. Well, New Testament would say what you're doing is you're living by the flesh. You just don't know it yet. That's what you're doing. But yet again, the Christ follower can make a decision. Now, this whole business of crucifying the flesh is part of that decision. So if you back up and you see Paul talks about this earlier in the letter with reference to uh, himself. He says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. And Galatians 2, chapter, 9, uh, chapter 2, verse 19. What he's saying there is that all that law and all the law of Moses and the hundreds and hundreds of laws that we see, the first five books of the Bible, he said, all of that brought me to a place of death because I realized that I couldn't keep it. All of that brought me to this place where I died to the law. Why? So that I might live for God. By dying, I live. Wow, that's almost like a contradiction. It sounds like something Jesus said, right? Jesus said, if you love your life, you will lose it. He talked about living by dying. And when you die to yourself, you live almost like a contradiction. I have been crucified, he says, with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Wow, that's a real statement of submission. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So for him, this is part of who he is, is this sense of I am crucified with Christ. There's a death that has taken place in me that I might live. He's not talking about kind of self, 
mutilation or something like that, the way some religious groups interpret it. You know, a person literally has to hurt themselves. Or I've even seen some who they go through a kind of a mock crucifixion process as if it's a sort of a discipline, uh, spiritual discipline. No, he's not talking about that. It, this is not physical. This is something that takes place internally. It's a matter of the, of the heart and the soul and about submission. He says the same thing uh, to the Romans. And as we mentioned last week, uh, you want to read Romans and Galatians together. Uh, they, they, they talk about the same thing, but from different angles. And what does he say to the church there? If we have been united with him like this, it is death. Wow, so you're united with Christ in his crucifixion? Apparently, uh, we are According to Paul, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Wow, very... Uh, uh, you know, strong terms here, talking about death and this whole thing, again, of dying with Christ, identifying with Christ and with His death. There's something in you that dies when you decide to follow Him. Now, that's all well and good, but Jesus actually takes this to a completely different place uh, when He's talking about the same thing and he does this in several places. This is well before Paul uh, is writing, but it's the same line of thinking. But look how Jesus says it. And this is, I mean, this is radical, extremely radical what he is saying. This is from Luke chapter 9. Um, and he tells them, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Again, he's talking about his own death, his own resurrection. And then he says right away afterward, if anyone would come after me, anyone would mean anyone. So Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. Just like Paul says in Galatians, doesn't matter. If anyone would come after me, what does the person have to do? He must deny himself. Wow. Deny himself and do what? Take up his cross daily. Daily. And follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. Now, if you're the audience at that point, and Jesus is saying that to you, it's a, it's a very uh, ooh, disturbing thing what he is saying. Because they knew what crosses were. I mean, here he is talking about his own death and resurrection. Doesn't specifically mention that it's going to be a cross. But in the next passage, seems to imply this because you've got to take up your cross daily. Daily. I mean, the people saw when these victims would, 
would be paraded through the streets with their crosses, and then they would go to be executed. This was what was done. This was the death penalty at that time in that place. And people knew when you're carrying a cross, that's it. It's over. Nobody comes back from that. This person has a cross. There's going to be an execution, and that's it. Their life is over. It's finished. It's death. And Jesus says, you take up that cross every day. You make that decision to deny yourself and die to yourself every day. And you identify with me every day and follow me. You want to gain your life, you will lose it. You want to lose your life for me, you will find it. I mean, he's leaving no... There's no middle ground there. There's no half and half there. It's a, this is a very, very high stakes, um, uh, what do we call it? Imperative, right? This is a very high stakes imperative that Jesus is putting out there. And then you see Paul repeating the same thing, really, to the Galatians, to the Romans. It's about your will. It's about what are you going to do with this now? Are you going to decide Today, to follow Christ, in other words, it's not about what you want. It's not about you, yourself, and you. It's not about your wants and your thing and your this. No, it's about Jesus first. It's what he wants from my life first. It's not what I want from my life. It's what he wants from my life. All this stuff about me, me, me has got to die. And so those things that I might wake up, you know, wanting or thinking that I need and all that, they may not all be good. I've got to run those things through God. I've got to run those things through the Spirit in order to decide what I'm going to do. And by the way, I need to do this every day. This is a high, high bar. This is a radical call to discipleship that's being taught here as really an imperative. So let me give you an example uh, that came up uh, this past week in our, in our Bible study. So much fun. I mean, we had like 20 people on a Zoom Bible study. It's so neat to see that. And it's kind of funny because we don't, I don't control the mics too much, you know, and people just kind of say whatever they want to say. And it's a little bit of chaos, uh, you know, on the Zoom screen. But we've really gotten used to this over the last year. And I mean, I remember the days when we used to go to a rented facility uh, for a midweek Bible study. And, you know, if we had a dozen people show up at a rented facility, it's like, whoa, there's a dozen people came out on a, on a midweek to a Bible study. And now it's like 20 people on a Zoom call, you know, it's just really surprising. But anyway, we're talking about somebody on the, in this Bible study. Those of you who are on it, do you know the, who the guy was? Yeah, so some, some students there. So first we went through the story of Naaman. It's an Old Testament story, but it illustrates this whole thing beautifully and is strangely relevant for today, at least the back end of the story. So you've got this guy, Naaman, and he's, uh, this is, you know, old, old, Old Testament. This is like 600 some odd BC. 
you've got Elisha the prophet is there. He's doing ministry to the northern part of Israel there. And you, you, you kind of see him in action, right? And you've got Naaman, who's a military guy, top-notch military commander. And what's Naaman's problem, even if you weren't on the Bible study? He's a leper. So this guy's top, top-notch military. He's got all the pins on his, arm, on his suit, you know. And he's got leprosy, which was a dearth back then. You, if you had leprosy, you're in serious, serious trouble. Uh, and so odd, you know, he's a man of standing, a uh, very successful career and all that, and yet he's got this problem. And so you know the story, uh, you, you read it in 2 Kings chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 6, and you see that he wants to, uh, he hears about Elisha, and he wants to buy a healing from Elisha, essentially. And do you remember how much money he's going to pay for this? Yeah, he's got 150 talents of, is it talents? I forget if it ends up being pounds. Yeah, I think it's 150, you do the conversion, like 150 pounds of gold, 750 pounds of silver, like these outrageous amounts of money. And he's got 10 sets of clothing, which, you know, you think of it kind of like Gucci suits or whatever. And he goes and he knocks on Elisha's door, right? He does a whole entourage, and he knocks on Elisha's door, and Elisha doesn't even answer the door. A servant answers the door. We don't know the servant's name. And what does the servant say to, to Naaman and his entourage? Yeah, he, does, he says, I don't want your money. Like, I don't need your money and your gold and your silver and your Gucci suits. Here's what you need to do. You want to be healed? Go dip in the Jordan River seven times. And what's Naaman's reaction, the, the, the commander with leprosy? Is he like, yeah, all right, I'm going to be healed. Let's go to the Jordan River. And he's angry. He's outraged. He's really, really upset, this guy. I mean, what a... What a foolish reaction. What a foolish reaction. He's mad. Why is he mad? Yeah, like, I don't like going to this little Jordan River. You know, pick the rivers of Damascus or something, or come outside of your house and wave your hand over me, and I'll be healed in a dramatic fashion. Listen, you know who you're talking to? I'm Naaman. Like, I'm the... I'm the top-notch general in the Syrian army, and you're telling me, me, to go and wash in the Jordan River? And he says he's, he's in a rage about this. Wow, what a reaction, right? Great story about pride. Talk about the sinful nature and pride. Anyway, it's not even the best part of the story. So, so he... You know why, fam? So, so eventually, some of his some of his people tell him, "Listen, name it. You know, you're 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 blowing a gasket over this. If the prophet had told you to climb, you know, Mount Everest or something, and do something really difficult, wouldn't you have done it to, to so that you could be healed? So he's just telling you to go and wash in the Jordan River. Why don't you just go in, in the Jordan River and just do what he says?" So eventually Naaman, he, he, he wisens up a little bit there, and he goes and he washes in the Jordan River. Does he get healed or not? Yeah, he gets healed. His, 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 the Bible says his skin's like that of a little boy. I mean, he's healed. 
And what happens to him after he's healed? Is he still the same angry, proud guy? No, he's, he's different. Now, he still offers the, the gifts because he's been healed. He still offers it, and they say, no, we don't want any of, your, any of your, your gold or your silver or your Gucci suits. We don't want any of it. Uh, so, you know, we're not taking any of that because you've been healed. Um, so, but he's, he's a little bit worried, Naaman. He's a little bit concerned because he knows that when he goes back to the boss back home, the boss is going to kneel at the pagan temple and worship the pagan god there in the temple of Ramon. And he says, listen, when the boss, the king, leans down, he's going to lean on me, and I'm going to be kneeling down also as if I'm worshiping this god. So please, Elisha, like, you need to, God needs to forgive me for this because I, I don't want to worship any other god. There's no god in the world but Yahweh. I don't want to worship any other god. It's like he's had a whole change of, it's like he's had a conversion experience. So he's very worried about this kind of technicality that's going to happen. And Elisha says, it's all right, shalom in the Hebrew, you go in peace. But he also asks for something else, Naaman. Do you remember what it was? He says, give me a lot of dirt. He goes with gold and silver and suits and everything, and he, he comes back with dirt. And he wants the dirt so he can make an altar from Exodus 20. Make an altar of earth, God says in Exodus 20, and worship me. So he wants to worship God like he's got his life is turned around, you know, and he heads back home. And meanwhile, and this is where we see the, the, the tail end, and you see this whole thing about a decision to make. This is old, old, old testament. You see the same principles are there. And you see there's a servant of Elisha. What's his name? Gehazi. We don't know if he's the servant who answered the door when, when Naaman came knocking. We're not sure. But Gehazi, the, the scripture says he thinks to himself. He gets an idea. He says, man, this guy's leaving with all this gold and all this silver and all these suits. Like, can't he part with a little bit of it? Who's going to know? He gets this idea to himself, and then he even brings God into the picture. As surely as the Lord lives, he says, I'm going to go and find Naaman and ask him just for a little bit. Just like, as surely as the Lord lives, like, what are you doing bringing God into your, you're making a decision. You, what you're doing, Gehazi, is you are following your own thing. That, this is an illustration. You're walking after your flesh, sir. That's what you were doing. And then you're even justifying it by bringing God into your nonsense. And we do, sometimes we do that today. We make decisions and they're just nothing to do with God. And then we just bring God on top of it as if, as if it makes it justifiable because, because now we've said God's name. And I, sometimes I think God is saying, keep me out of your mess. I didn't, I didn't tell you to do that. You keep me out of it. You want to go and live that way and do that thing? That's on you, but don't bring me into your mess, please. Sometimes I think that he's saying that. 
And so he goes and he finds Naaman on the road. He's got a couple of people with him. Hey, Naaman. Naaman's like, what are you doing here? I just left. What's the problem? Is there a problem? Does Elisha want something? You know, he's a new, he doesn't know that there's a game afoot. He doesn't know that there's deception afoot. He's like a brand new spiritual baby. He doesn't know any of this. He trusts Elisha's servant. After all, he's in the company of the prophets. He's got spiritual authority. And what does he do? He lies to Naaman. He says, Naaman, there's a couple of prophets who come to visit Elisha, you know, and we need to give them some stuff. You know, a couple of a suit and a this and a that. And, you know, so he throws a spiritual card in there again. Some prophets have come. Oh, prophets. Well, prophets have to be treated nicely, I guess. So says Naaman. So Naaman says, don't just take one, take two. After all, there's two prophets there. So take two of the whatever it is, golden suits. You can read it yourself, Second Kings chapter 5, I think it is. And so he says, go, you know. And so the, he takes the loot and he, and he goes, puts it in his house and hides it in his house, the scoundrel. And then, he, and then he goes back to report to Elisha. Hmm, how's that going to go? And so Elisha says, hey, Hazai, where have you been? Nowhere. <laughs> Nowhere. And Elisha says, I was with you. My heart was with you when you went and did your deed. My heart was with you. Do, do, is this the time to be looking for silver and gold and all this stuff? Gehazi, I was with you when you did it. If you count the number of lies and deceptions afoot with this guy, Gehazi, it compounds itself. He lies about God. He lies to himself. He lies to this new spiritual baby, this king or this military guy. He lies to him. Then he lies to the other two guys who help bring the loot in. Then he lies to Elisha. This guy is a world. He's got himself in a huge, huge mess. Folks, we need to look at this story with, with fear in some ways because here's a man with spiritual authority. He works under Elisha, the prophet. He's got spiritual authority. He makes a decision to walk out of step with God's call on his life. And he manipulates. He takes advantage of people. He takes the Lord's name in vain. He lies. He cheats. He steals. He does all of these things in rapid fire succession. Boom, 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 boom. And then Elisha is going to, he looks at him and he says, the leprosy that was upon Naaman is going to be upon you. And he gets hit with the disease that Naaman was healed from. Wow, the consequences. These are, this is real. And this is scary, folks, because even today in the 21st century, this kind of thing can happen and does happen. 
even with people who are in spiritual leadership and spiritual authority can do these kinds of things and can even calm themselves into thinking that God is somehow in the mix and then eventually something happens. One lie leads to another, to another, to another, and then somebody smells it, somebody finds it, and the person gets caught and the consequences are just devastating, devastating for them, devastating for their families, devastating for those who they've taught and led for years. And that's just in the, it's in spiritual authority. This kind of thing happens to people who don't have any spiritual kind of leadership. They're not clergy or anything like that. They're just average people living their lives. And they're, they, most people don't work in the clergy, by the way, right? 99% of people work out there in the marketplace. The same thing happens. We can make these decisions, and they're out of step with God. Why? Because we decided that. If we're a Christ follower, it's us who has the ability to choose to take up our cross daily. And if we're not doing that, and we're on another path, and we're doing our own thing, what we're doing is walking by that flesh. Mm. Do you see how easily it can happen? So you want the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You've got to be about the business of, to put it bluntly, crucify yourself. Your will is not always God's. Your thoughts are not always God's. The things that you passionately, passionately want so badly, so badly, filter them through the Spirit Filter them through the Scripture and see if they line up with what He wants. Otherwise, you may well be repeating the Gehazi experience. And this is not God's will for you. We're going to finish uh, with a word of prayer here. If the musicians can come and they can play in the background, uh, whatever you all want. But I uh, want to have a word of prayer with you before we finish today. I think there are those of you in the room, you say, man, I never heard this story of this Naaman and Gehazi. I just want to read the story. What a, what a story. It's in 2 Kings chapter 5 and 6, I think it is. Um, but maybe you're at a place and you say, I, don't even, I, don't, I didn't even realize... Like, I thought that being a Christian was, was supposed to be one way, and here it in, Paul is seeming to say that it's a different way. Maybe that way is more realistic, though. Maybe it's more true to your experience. Maybe that's exactly what you're going through. Maybe you've got uh, an area of your life and it's this sin, repeat, sin, repeat, sin, repeat, and you can't break out of that kind of cycle. And you don't want anyone to know about it. You don't want your family to know. You don't want your spouse to know. And you've got that thing and it just keeps, keeps attacking, attacking, attacking. You can decide to take up your cross, put your will second, and God's will first. And you can learn to live free of that thing. Father, I pray for each person in the room, those who are watching online. Those who are going to watch recordings later or listen to audio later. And uh, Father, I pray that um, as, we, as we endeavor to serve you, Jesus, as we endeavor to be your students and your disciples, Lord, that uh, we would heed that imperative. We would heed that call to that kind of radical following of you. 
where it's not what I want. Lord, it's, it's not my will, as you even prayed in that garden. But the, the will of God, the will of the Father be done in my life. The will of the Spirit be done in my life. Lord, if we want that fruit in our lives, would you just help us, God? Would you help us to recognize and to examine ourselves and to monitor ourselves and to watch out for that that. Uh, the, uh, sinful nature, that flesh as it were, like, Lord, we don't want to end up uh, like some of these stories that we read in the Old Testament and, and the devastating consequences, but Lord, help us in those little things, it's those little choices in the day, it's those little decisions in the day that dictate where we're going to go. Help us, we pray, counsel us, Spirit of God, teach us, Spirit of God, walk beside us, Spirit of God, and lead us, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you today. Thank you so much for joining in with us. Wedlin and Elaine will be out in the foyer. If you want to give something today, you're welcome to do so. Remember to pick up your kids in screen 11. Have a great day off on Monday if you get it. And God bless you, everyone.